With supply chains becoming more complex, you need to stay on top of the latest logistics developments. So if you work with logistics, you need the Beyond the Box podcast from Maersk. It's the easy way to keep up to date with everything from digital disruption in logistics to the need for supply chain resilience in today's market. Find out more and keep ahead of the game with the Beyond the Box podcast on logistics insights at maersk.com insights. Welcome to Naturebacked podcast of Singular. In this podcast, we are talking with investors about their vision of the new green world. My name is Tarmo Virki, and in this episode, I'm talking with Arne Morteani from Kiko Ventures. Enjoy the show. Hey there, I'm Merit. I'm the CEO and co-founder of Single Earth, and we are building a nature-backed currency to empower you to fight against climate change and biodiversity loss. Sign up at Single.Earth and be among the first to switch to a truly sustainable nature-based economy. And don't forget to join the discussion around climate change and biodiversity loss on our Discord channel. Enjoy the show. Welcome to the show, Arne. Thanks, Tamo. To start off with, tell us a few words about uh, Kiko Ventures. You officially launched just a few weeks ago, right? Yeah, we, we launched uh, yeah, just about two weeks ago um, after preparing this for over a year. Um, and uh, Kiko Ventures is, you know, at, at first sight, of course, it's another climate tech, clean tech investor. Of, you know, there have been a number popping up over the last year and year or two. Um, but really we try to take a different angle based on our experience, which has been very long in this, in this area. So um, of the three founding partners, each one of us spent 20 odd years in, in and around clean tech, climate tech. Um, myself, I've been a solar researcher and I did consulting in the area. Um, and the last 15 years I've been in venture capital doing only clean tech um, and, and uh, have been passionate about this all my life was a member of Greenpeace when I was a teenager. So this has been a theme since, since the 90s for me. Um, and uh, so and my, my two founding partners are similarly passionate about the topic and, and longstanding in the industry. And what we found is that um, the, the industry has you know, 99.9% of the money is, is in traditional fund structures, um, so-called JPLP funds. Um, which are great, and there's a great way of attracting capital to the space, um, but they have some some shortcomings. Um, and we felt that something called evergreen money is needed in the space, uh, which is defined by not being in a fund structure, but being basically a big pot of money. And you, uh, you invest, and as you sell companies, the money comes back, and it's always the same pot of money, and you just keep on recycling the capital, if you need more capital and you were reasonably successful, you can also raise money into, into these vehicles or into these, these evergreen structures. Um, but the money then goes into the same pot again. So it's not in a separate fund, like in a traditional uh, organization, fund management organization, which means you, you don't get conflicts of interest between funds. Um, and what it allows you to do is to invest without without sort of running out of time and money in the way you would be, be doing with a, with a traditional fund and without this 10-year fixed mandate, investment mandate that you would have in a traditional fund. Yeah. So you get an enormous amount of flexibility. Um, 
that wasn't really around in this ecosystem. And we launched Kiko to be the first evergreen fund focused exclusively on climate. Um, and the way we've done this is we, we teamed up with, uh, or basically we, we ring-fenced an activity that already existed at a organization called IP Group, which is a large listed venture capital outfit that's been around for about 20 years. Um, and had quite a lot of success, quite a lot of success also by the clean tech team here. And so I joined the existing clean tech team um, to increase the commitment of IP group to the space. And so we ring fence this activity here now and have our own you know, capital commitment, our own uh, investment committee, team, brand, communication, decision-making, et cetera. Um, under this roof of, of IP Group. So IP Group has been phenomenally success um, supportive to us to make this happen. There's really only two ways you can do an evergreen fund, your evergreen investor. One is uh, it's your own money, say family office. Uh, and the other way is to do it through a listed structure in, on the stock markets. Because you always will need, if you use other people's money, you will, will need to give people the option to exit at some point. Mm -hmm. And if you don't want to do this in a traditional fund structure, the only other way is to do it with, um, with a listed uh, structure. So we needed a listed vehicle, and IP Group provides mm -hmm. right side. Mm -hmm. We ha we have been talking quite a lot about that uh, dilemma of the classical LP funds uh, of the 10-year cycles. And, you know, if you go to climate tech on your year three or four and have to, you know, start thinking about getting out on the year seven or eight, it's uh, not too much time for a classical climate tech case, right? Yeah. I mean, you, you often run out of time even with so-called so venture cases, say a software company or so, even there it's often an issue. It definitely is an issue for a lot of what people call deep tech, where there's some level of science involved. Mm. Um, and it's held back a lot of clean tech innovation. And that's been our our frustration over the last 15, 20 years in the space. We've, we've watched this and, and been frustrated about this. Um, the team here at IP Group has watched it from the outside because they always had evergreen money. Mm. Um, uh, but but a much smaller activity now. It's a 450 million platform that we put, created here. So we're really not just going in with evergreen money, but we're going in at scale to really make stuff happen. And there's lots of stuff that needs to happen from carbon capture to um, you know next generation solar to you name it. Um, and and all of these things need need investors that that are patient and can be there for the whole ride. And and this, the, 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 yeah, all things equal, every entrepreneur should want a, a full life cycle investors, uh, investor that you can be uh, with, with an evergreen structure. And we're going to do um, business model deals and software deals as well, but we, with the ambition to really build large global organizations, really build the, the climate champions of the future and not grow it a bit for three years and then try to find the exit. Mm. The uh, evergreen name is, of course, uh, or the category is, of course, perfect in this industry, right? Absolutely. Yeah, it's and frankly, even in mainstream venture capital, it's it's increasingly recognized mm. as something attractive. So last year, uh, Sequoia 
made made quite a lot of um, great kind of publicity about what they call the Sequoia Fund, which is essentially a, a way of bundling the LP structures into a, a sort of meta structure that that has some evergreen characteristics. Um, and their argument was similar to what I just said, but also things like once you've IPO'd a company, actually it's, it often makes sense to hold on to it for a little while, which you can't with an LP structure. So they calculated they could make, I think, could have made like 8 billion more of capital if they had done that mm. uh, of, of returns. And, and so there's lots of other advantages if you, if you have that flexibility. Mm. Uh, you said that there are like massive challenges which need a longer time frame. What are the biggest challenges you're looking at? Um, the I, I think there are um, there are some some areas where you really want to be able to to go uh, basically to enable the next generation of science and technology to emerge. Um, so one area where we've done multiple investments is, is the whole area of alternative fuels. That's hydrogen, but it's also syn fuels. It's also you know using ammonia for things. Um, so all the ways you can replace fossil fuels, um, you will have to do that. You can't do everything via electrification. There's a good part that needs to have alternative fuels, uh, either like in shipping or aviation, where you we just can't carry around all these batteries or all that hydrogen. You really need the proper fuel, um, but also areas um, in, in industry where, where, you, where you, mm. like for example, steel making, where you want to do that with hydrogen rather than just electricity. So that's a that's a big area. Um, there are uh, there are more business model type areas. Which, which are more traditional venture deals, but very interesting. And I think uh, there's an option to build big sort of champion companies. One of them is the whole area of, uh, call it as a service, where you in effect rent out assets rather mm -hmm. than selling assets. So that can be anything for, for consumers, for example, there's more and more companies now that essentially rent out clothes rather than buying clothes. Um, obviously, we have it in car rental and those sorts of things. Um, but it, it goes even in, into the industrial space. You, you have, um, in my, in my personal, personal favorite is lubrication as a service in the, in the industry, where you, where you literally you, you sell the fact that you're lubricating a piece of industrial equipment, like, for example, a turbine in a power plant. You don't sell the lubricant, you just sell the fact that it's lubricated. Mm. And then that, if you think it through, becomes really interesting from an environmental perspective, because the incentive then is to use as little of the physical acid as possible to achieve the desired effect. So your engineering changes. So in the, like if I take this example, uh, in the old model, you would want to create a situation where you sell as much lubricant as possible. Exactly. In the in the new world, you want a situation where you use as little lubricant as possible. And uh, same thing, there's lighting as a service, for example, where you where you have light light bulbs, basically, in, in industrial plants. If, if you put the lights up there and they're still owned by you, uh, and you just sell it as a service, you want these things to survive for a very, very long time. Well, right now, um, 
frankly, you know, also on Siemens and so on, historically have designed their light bulbs to to break after a certain period of time. Mm -hmm. So they have to be replaced. Yeah. Like a so so there, there are areas like this, I think, which are which are going to come very strongly in the next uh, next uh, five years plus. Mm, really interesting. The uh, and also the the fuel point you were making. I mean, the uh, the problem of the you know of the fuel uh, could be of course solved on a political level if you go and decide that the natural gas is the renewable energy source and totally yeah. green as the EU, and then it is. It's. <laughs> I mean, you know, all the green it's change. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is this is this is recent news, and mm. it's very disappointing, frankly, that the EU made that decision. Uh, it, it it goes to show how powerful the the lobbies are still. Uh, it's yeah, you know, it's one it, one sounds like a conspiracy theorist if you say that you know a lot of bad things has happened through the lobbying, but but it's really true, and I think this is a good indicator of that. Um, however, um, normally reason wins out sooner or later, and mm. this is a transition period now, I think, um, in a few years' time, I would imagine the topic will come back on the table. Mm. You said you've been uh, in a climate tech investment quite a long time. The um, um, any, any kind of uh, big uh, cases you would like to tell from your from your personal history, where you've been involved in, uh, you know, building a successful climate companies. Yeah, I mean, maybe I, I give an example that is um, a little bit it's sort of an unusual venture investment. I've done quite a lot of software and business model investing and most of traditional mainstream investing, but maybe give an example that's a bit out there. Um, and there's a company called eLeather, uh, which produces in, at some level, recycled leather, it uses waste from the leather industry and basically drizzles the drizzles it up so it's the individual fibers and then reconstitutes the leather from that. And while doing that, it introduces a what is essentially a sort of Kevlar-type um, net, which then creates uh, in the, the, the composite of that of that sort of Kevlar, a little bit of it's five percent of the whole thing, and and ninety five percent of leather fibers creates something that looks looks feels and smells like um, like leather, but it's much much higher performing. So it's actually an upcycling technology. If you mm -hmm. Wow! And um, we invested when the company was already in double digit revenues. So it was a late stage venture deal in that regard. It had a factory and had hundred fifty people. Um, uh, and it was uh, it was sort of starting to sell into various industries, and, um, and uh, we that that was built out to become the leading supplier into the airline industry globally and for leather seating in in, in airlines. Um, so almost anybody has sat on e leather seats already without knowing that. Um, so I think 160 airlines or so that are flying in now. Um, and uh, they do that because it's 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 a much higher performing uh, material, and it's much lighter, which saves them a lot of fuel. So you get lots of benefits here. You you have the the benefit of using that waste from the leather industry, which is about half of the tanned leather gets thrown away because it sort of shaves off and cut offs, mm -hmm. and and it, that actually is not traditional waste. It's a, it's 
it's, it's hazardous waste because of the, the, the chromium-based leather um, tanning process. So, so you're you're reducing an enormous space pile that exists out there. It's about one billion leather hides a year. So it's 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 a lot of waste, and there are pictures of mountains of that, that leather waste. Um, you're also uh, creating uh, CO2 benefits, uh, not just because you you do less tanning and and you use that waste, but also knock-on effects like, for example, the airlines using less fuel. And you create a performance benefit because you you create a material that actually is far better than using leather in itself. Um, and then you have even more benefits. You have things like um, manufacturing benefits because all of a sudden you get that material of a hundred meter long roll rather than having to deal with individual bits of, of animal skin. So you can feed it into a um, into a uh, you know, automated manufacturing process. Mm. Um, and so you get all these cost advantages and, and process advantages as well. So it's it's the, the, the triple whammy of of environmental performance and cost. Mm. And it's and that's really you know that's that's really something that gets me excited. Mm. Totally. I think that's also a kind of great example that the, the, all these discussions about uh, whether it's uh, profit or environment are, you know, in many cases, they are total crap. I mean, yeah. you, you, you know, you can have both. It, it, you don't have to be, uh, you know, going for one or the other yeah. as an investor. Yeah. I, I, yes, yes, I think that is often the case. Um, I think it's we should not lose sight of the fact that we do need to do things where we need to spend money, um, but the conditions need to be created by the governments, so that then you, you know, the, the less economic part of it is covered by the government, and the the commercial money can then pick it up. Mm. So I think it's true, but I uh, I would caution for caution people to think that we get everything for free, so to speak, right? We can just change the world and make money like 100% of the time. Um, there is a degree of pain, there's a degree of, say, extra taxes, of um, reallocating capital by, by the governments and so on that needs to happen and is happening increasingly. Mm. How, do you th how do you see the kind of the political willingness to actually you know, drive the change which is needed so kind of desperately when looking at the climate change? So in Europe, I think there's very consistent support for this, despite what we just discussed on, mm. the, on the gas. I think mm. the, the pretty much all the decision makers in Europe are bought into the need for it. Uh, in the US, it's it's oscillating, as we know, you know between the two the two political parties. I think the Democrats are very much behind it. Republicans less so. So it, it'll it'll be quite fragile. Um, I think China is very much bought into it. It's it's perfect alignment with their industrial agenda anyway. Mm. So it's not a conflict for them. Mm. Uh, much more of a conflict in the US, I think, than it is in, in China. So overall, we, we're, we're going in the right direction, and I think there's no, no way back. Uh, the, the, the current energy crisis is an interesting one because, in a way, it 
it it makes us move backwards because we're switching on uh, coal plants again and you know importing uh, natural gas etc etc um, on the other hand the, the the high energy prices the the awareness people now have of not just uh, climate change but also the energy security issues that come with fossil fuels and dependency on fossil fuel rich countries um, are, are all tailwinds for for the energy transition and the EU has this um, initiative now called Repower EU which um, is a plan to create energy security through the energy transition so people have now realized actually if we do this right we 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 got double impact we become greener mm. and we increase the energy security in europe and energy independence mm. of europe and you know looking on what's been going on on the eastern front of europe it's kind of desperately needed absolutely absolutely and we will see next winter we will see big parts of europe suffering from from their gas dependency and mm. and of course they don't want that to happen again and there're not that many ways of of solving that problem yes of course they could buy mail from qatar and so on but that that's a short term solution mm. and and all these countries are thinking about what do we do longer term and of course that's perfectly aligned with the energy transition mm. so we are in, in fact uh, as an investment organization we're, we're sort of putting a lot of topics that we found less interesting in the past we're putting them back on the on the table because of these strong tailwinds mm. somebody in one of the early episodes was uh, telling how the vc industry is really excited about the heat pumps and no one thought <laughs> a few years ago that this could ha- ever happen yeah yeah we we just invested in a what really is rocket science as far as as heat pumps can be <laughs> right um I mean, it, lit- it really is rocket science. I haven't disclosed it yet, but it's, it's okay. just phenomenal technology, um, which could revolutionize that, that space. And yeah, I mean, heat pumps are a, a, a big part of the solution. Mm, interesting. The uh, going, going forward, I mean, what's on your agenda in the coming quarters, uh, in addition to the you know energy transition? I mean, organizationally, we, we want to build a team. We want to... Um, we want to build partnerships we were with thinking of with this evergreen platform that we can do partnering in a much more deep way maybe than than you can with a traditional structure right we can invest in other funds we can do all kinds of things so that's that's organizationally where we want to go um, in terms of investing uh, we we want to build a number of areas where we where we go deep um, so we don't want to do so sort of spray and pray uh, but we want to we want to build expertise and knowledge and networks in in specific areas over time um, another advantage of our structure mm. we we um, we're not so basically a traditional structure is kind of has to has to focus on stage you know your series a investor your seed investor and so mm. Um, but then has to do spray and pray uh, on a on a sort of sector perspective. Yeah. That's very dangerous for a in clean tech because this, there's lots of sectors that are completely disconnected. Mm-hmm. So it really literally is spray and pray. It's very different from if you say a mainstream investor where you just do internet platforms. Mm-hmm. They're all kind of similar, but if you invest in electrolyzers on one day 
and uh, ESG reporting software the next day have nothing to do with each other. Mm. And so actually, clean tech in many ways is much more diverse and much more generalist than the actual generalist funds. Mm. And so a, a strategy where you just do everything a little bit, um, but focus on stage, is, isn't, isn't a logical strategy. It's driven by the LP um, sort of landscape, mm. but it's not a logical strategy. So we, are, we want to flip it on its head and, and say, um, we're, we're thematically focused first and stage second. So we may co-found a company or invest in a series B round. Um, doesn't really matter as long as we feel comfortable in the area, we feel we understand and we have networks, we can add value, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. So building out these, these areas where, where we have strength, um, that's for us on the agenda. We have one area already, which is the whole alternative fuel space that I spoke about. And, but there are there are other there are other areas. Um, mm. um, so nature-based solutions are a very very fascinating area actually, where we could also develop other sort of finance products around. Um, and so so we want to build build that out. But that's that's work in progress. Frankly. Mm. Cool. Yeah. The uh, I lost my thought there for a second. The uh, Nature-based solutions. Anything else you could uh, kind of share light on? What could be the other potential focus areas? Well, um, I mentioned circularity. Mm -hmm. um, then, uh, also as a service, right? It's sort of similar idea. Mm -hmm. um, there is, uh, I think, there is almost like a revival of home energy, domestic energy, mm -hmm. going on, partly driven by the by the Ukraine crisis, and so it's it's this whole you know. The house, solar on the roof, batteries. Uh, we have an investment already in, in the next generation water boiler. <laughs> Surprisingly, but it's mm -hmm. Oxford technology and it's you know, phenomenal stuff. Fast growing, mm -hmm. very fast growing company in our portfolio. Um, so that whole how do you how do you create um, the build environment, homes? How do you how do you create the energy transition there? Uh, there's lots of interesting angles to that, which which we we plan to dig in deeper into. Mm. Uh, transport is still an interesting area, even though it's been it's been worked on by VCs now for several years quite heavily. Mm. So um, one needs to be a bit cautious. Uh, also, quite overvalued a lot of things there. Um, uh, we 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 have quite a lot of strength in everything material science. And uh, that leads us a bit towards the sort of battery space and those areas as well. Mm. Um, very difficult, though, to make the right calls there. So mm. probably going to be careful there for a while. Mm. Um, what else is there? Uh, we're looking at some some really out there ideas. So, so currently we're, we're looking at the, the all the Hyperloop companies out there, mm. um, which is a fascinating idea that I think is slowly maturing. And we, we're seeing some real sort of early commercial traction in that space. Um, so if, if that develops more momentum, that's a really interesting area. Um, yeah, so those are some, some mm. examples. Mm. The thing I was earlier thinking of is you mentioned the kind of cooperation with other investors. How much of the problem you see potentially from the you know LP-driven uh, funds 10-year uh, limit problem? You know, I would see that natural fit you would probably have with some big uh, family offices, which have a you know evergreen approach to their investments too. But uh, how about the kind of the classical VC funds? 
Yeah, I mean, we are, we are structurally much better aligned with family offices, and we, we have good relationships to a number of, of uh, family offices. Um, we're also more natural partner in a way because we're not asking for money, <laughs> so, mm. so which is which is something that as an LP fund makes it always a little bit tricky because they're always under suspicion to just wanting to raise money. Mm. Um, and uh, so definitely keen on building good relationships to like-minded family offices. Um, funds typically have a bit better reach, a bit more visibility. Mm. Um, so there's definitely a role for funds as well. Uh, I think um, in many cases we can work with funds. So there's no, there's no reason not to mm. fundamentally. Uh, also, we can work with funds in ways where, for example, they might not do a certain investment because it doesn't fit so much to their structure. And but then they show it to us and they say, "Hey, don't you guys want to do this?" Mm -hmm. So, so there's lots of ways of collaborating. I mean, generally, uh, we we hope because we're not sort of threatening to anybody. We're not we're not taking anybody's money away. Right? We're not competing for LP money. Mm -hmm. um, we hopefully we can. We, we can be a uh, you know a so partner conversation partner idea exchange mm -hmm. partner of choice for for yeah. many people out there and I believe we can add a lot not just the three of us have been in the area a lot but um, or a long time but but we are we are within that larger um, IP group universe and that's a company that's present in, in on four continents has done venture capital for 20 years has very good relationships to universities around the world. Um, you know, we have, we have in-house IP lawyers here, for example, to assess patterns and so on. So, so we have capabilities that um, we can bring to the table. Cool. Uh, that's probably a good point to wrap up the discussion also. Uh, thanks, Arne, for joining us today. Thank you very much, Tamil. I enjoyed it. Join us again for the next episode. Thank you for listening. If you like the show, please give us a good rating and leave the feedback in your podcast player so others will find it too. We will be back next week. Turn on to Nature Backed Podcast. Hi, I'm Mark. And I'm Peter. We're the founders of Electrocast Media, bringing you great podcasts like Nightmare Road Stories, Tech Talk Revolution, and Bodacious Minds. Electrocast networks include Ruby for female empowerment, the best business network, and GPN for geopolitics. We built this company to create community and amplify diverse voices, and we really appreciate your support. So, keep listening to Electrocast Podcasts and hear the culture. Electrocast. Cast.